You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, Sooner fans, welcome to the Friday edition of the Locked On Sooners podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, David Walker. I'm a former Sooners offensive lineman, former college basketball coach, and host of the Iron Horse podcast with NFL defensive back Brandon Carr. You can follow me on Twitter at D underscore walk 74. And my co-host John Williams is out today, but don't worry, because I dialed up the big orange transfer hotline one more time. We've got our guy, Josh Ward, host of Locked On Vols, coming on with us in segment one to talk about Eric Gray. And in segment two, we've got the Locked On Bama host, Jimmy Stein, coming on to talk about this OU-Alabama matchup tomorrow at the Lloyd Noble Center as the ninth-ranked Crimson Tide come to town to take on the Sooners for an 11 o'clock tip. So we're going to have more uh, Locked On crossover coming up later in the show. But first, let's bring back on for the third time, Josh Ward to Locked On Center. Josh, what's up, man? Good to talk to you again. Uh, yeah, Oklahoma, if it has any success this season, which I'm guessing it probably will, uh, th- there should be a thank you card at least sent to Knoxville because <laughs> Oklahoma's picking up some players. And the the uh, most recent addition is the biggest one, not physically, but in terms of potential impact for the Sooners. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Eric Gray, I mean, it came through on Wednesday evening. Eric Gray makes his decision, and you know, there was rumors it was down in Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, you know, that was – Obviously going to be an interesting uh, situation to see how that played out, if he was going to go to one or the other and how that might shift the Red River rivalry. But he follows suit, follows Wanya Morris, follows Key Lawrence, and now all of a sudden Eric Gray is a third volunteer to enter the transfer portal and find themselves to Norman. So let's talk about Eric. What makes him so great? What do you feel like is his trajectory uh, as a running back at the college football level? He's a big-time athlete. He's a really good player. Tennessee was not a very good team in 2020 that had nothing to do with Eric Gray. He was arguably Tennessee's best player, was definitely one of them. He is a versatile player out of the backfield. He can run the football with success. He will do that for Oklahoma, but he can catch the football out of the backfield. Tennessee's offense didn't do much well, but one thing that it did well was getting the ball to Eric Gray in a number of different ways. He caught 30 passes this past season as a sophomore, and he just has electrifying ability. He has game-breaking ability. He can hit the home run. He's uh, he's not a big back, uh, not not a big bruiser, but he's he's not small either. Uh, probably around 200, 205, somewhere in that range. And he can he can carry the ball a lot. I don't know that Oklahoma is going to need him to do that, but in an offense that is going to be successful with Lincoln Riley, it makes sense that Eric Gray wants to go there. And for Oklahoma, this is just adding another really talented piece. He should have no problem walking in and making a big contribution right away. There are a number of ways you can use him in the backfield, line him up in the slot. Uh, if you want to try to get a quick pass to him, Eric Gray's a really good player. Yeah, that's exciting. And I think giving Lincoln Riley another toy to play with, a guy that's versatile is going to be nothing but exciting for Sooner fans. And yeah, you know, that the, the big playability is something that stood out to me. Obviously it was against Vanderbilt and you can say, well, maybe Vanderbilt defensively isn't as good as other people, whatever. The guy went 94 yards on Vandy for a touchdown. And last year, Oklahoma had a hard time, especially before Ramondre Stevenson got back from his suspension. 
had a hard time hitting any big plays in the run game. I mean, their, their big plays were like a 20 to 25 yard chunk. They weren't changing the game from the running back position on any big hitters. So the fact that he's able to, you know, go the distance and has the speed to be able to get there, I think is a huge thing. So uh, talk about him playing in the slot. Was he, was he catching on the passes? Obviously the quarterback play at Tennessee, you know, wasn't probably what he's going to have with Spencer Rattler, but how much of that is part of his game? Yeah. And, and to me, that's just an idea. I think um, a lot of what he'll be able to do is still coming out of the backfield. I, I want you to do this, pull the audio clip sometime this season, whenever Lincoln Riley dials up a will route for Eric Gray, that ends up being a big play, whether it's a, a play to break the game open or make a difference in Oklahoma winning the game, because that's something that I would bet on happening. He just, he has the ability to make plays in different ways. And now he's going to go play for a coach who is going to be much more creative than Jim Chaney was in using Eric Gray. I said that that was one of the better things they did was using him. It's also a no brainer. He was Tennessee's most talented skill position player. I'm not sure that it was all that close, even with a few other pretty talented teammates. He's just, he's a game breaker and he can do a number of things. He's a sharp kid. Uh, if you talk to Eric Gray, I think you'll like him. And uh, he he can, he can do it all, I think, on the football field. So he's just a perfect fit for Lincoln Riley in that offense, a creative offensive coach who knows the best way. Like we joke about getting the ball to playmakers in space. Is there a coach that doesn't want to do that? Typically, you don't talk about getting the big guys into crowds and try to make plays that way. But Lincoln Riley's better than most coaches at doing that. And Eric Gray is the perfect type of player, at least as a running back, to try to make that happen. All right, so let me ask you this. It looked like over his time, he you know, he had a, a nice freshman year. Last year, he started coming on 1,300 yards over two seasons. Now he's going to come in as a junior do you feel like he's a guy? Because I think I anticipate Kennedy Brooks is coming back. He set out the season. He opted out. He had 2,000-yard seasons back-to-back at Oklahoma before opting out. Now he's returning. So you got a couple guys now that, you know, have between the two of them over close to 4,000 yards combined. So I, I anticipate both those guys getting some carries. But do you feel like Eric Gray is a guy that's going to be a one-and-done looking to leave? Or do you feel like there is a potential for him to play more than one season at Oklahoma? I don't know, but if I had to guess, I would think that he's looking to be one and done. I would think he's that kind of talent. So my guess is that Eric is going to try to go to Oklahoma, have a big season. I I don't know what that means statistically, but he'll be able to put up some highlights, as I mentioned. And he'll be on a team that's winning, and he's going to be noticed, and then go to the NFL. I partly think that because he's a running back, and uh, that's often a pretty good idea. If if you've shown enough and you have a chance to go pro, then you do that because you only only have so many – carries and, and so many miles on those legs that you can uh, that you can find or come up with. And, you know, I mentioned uh, he's he's a guy that he can carry the ball a lot. He did it different times. He had a, he had a, um, a 30 carry game at Tennessee, but you don't want to do that too much. I, I think it's also uh, I think it's a right fit for him where he's not going to be asked to be the guy every game that has to carry it 20 to 30 times. I don't think you really want any running back to do that, at least if you're thinking long term. So for him, it also makes sense to go to Oklahoma so that you can be a part of an offense that will have a number of pieces uh, that you're talking about and then maximize your opportunities. And then I would say, look at the next level. That would be my guess. Could he be there for two years? Sure. I would bet on the NFL in 2022. Yeah, and I think Ramondre Stevenson is a good example of that. He didn't necessarily have the statistics over the time at Oklahoma, and he played half the season, yet he declared early and is impressing at the Senior Bowl and probably made the right decision there. So running backs, I always kind of tend, like like yourself, Josh, I always feel like I'm assuming that they're leaving. 
you know, yeah. because it just, if they have an opportunity and they're an obvious talent, yeah. you, then most often they're going to make that jump. And I think Eric Gray sees that as well. Exactly. And we'll be right back with more here with Josh Ward of Locked On Vols here on the Locked On Sooners podcast. We're going to talk with Josh about that 2024 matchup looming on the horizon between Lincoln Riley and Josh Heupel at Neyland Stadium. Rocky Top, Boomer Sooner, Lincoln versus Heupel. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to talk about that with Josh when we come back. I want to tell you about betonline.ag. Look, are you ready for some more football? We got one more big game coming up. All right, it's almost over. We still got the big daddy of all games coming up. My guy, Chris Chester, that's on the podcast today, he's played in this game. It's the Super Bowl. It's Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes. And if you want to get in on the action, there's only one place that's got you covered, one place we trust. That's betonline.ag. Sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag and use the promo code Locked On for your 50% welcome bonus. You can also bet on college basketball, NBA basketball, the National Hockey League. They got it all. So don't sit on the sidelines any longer. Get in on the action and don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Get more of the sports news you need in less time with our new Locked On Today podcast. Peter Bukowski hosts Locked On Today, a daily podcast breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get podcasts. Before we get you out of here, I do want to get your thoughts on the head coaching hire at Tennessee. And speak freely here because, yes, Josh Heupel's a former Sooner Yes, he's thought of fondly in Sooner Nation and as the quarterback. However, there is a little bit of uh, animosity that lingers still, I think, between Josh, Josh's feelings towards the program because of being dismissed as offensive coordinator. Lincoln gets brought in. Josh was kind of the the heir apparent to Bob Stoops. And I think everybody in Sooner Nation thought that for a long time. He was on this trajectory to be the guy to replace Bob. And then all of a sudden Lincoln comes in to replace him. Three years later, Lincoln's the head coach and Josh is, you know, a coordinator elsewhere and, and kind of had to find his way. And he's obviously landed on his feet in the Southeastern conference at Tennessee. So you know, on one hand, Sooner fans always want the best for him, but I know for, for him, this has been a long journey. So what has been the vibe around Tennessee uh, with Josh being hired? Well, I think there are mixed reactions from Tennessee fans. There was a lot of negativity when word came out on Tuesday night that it was likely and Wednesday morning that it was, Absolutely happening. I think Tennessee fans, many Tennessee fans, not all, and and never can you speak for all fans, but many Tennessee fans were thinking Danny White is the new AD. He's a big time hire from UCF. He's going to go get us a big time coach. The reality is that any big time coach that Tennessee called or checked on or had the search firm reach out to said, thanks, but no thanks. Not interested. And Tennessee ended up with Josh Heupel. I don't think this is a difficult, difficult one to figure out. They reached out to other coaches. And those coaches said no. 
So Danny White went with a coach that he knew would say yes and a coach that he's comfortable with because they work together at UCF. So Josh goes to work for a boss that he knows will back him. The Tennessee job is a challenging one right now. They give him a big contract, a long contract that supports him a little bit because it's going to take time to get things figured out. The one thing that is exciting to Tennessee fans is that as Missouri's offensive coordinator and as the head coach at UCF, Josh Heupel put up a lot of yards and a lot of points. Tennessee's offense has not done that over the last few years. They didn't do that. They, they were abysmal, frankly, under um, Jeremy Pruitt. So fans, I think, are excited about seeing more points and more offense. But we're having a conversation. Oklahoma and Tennessee, the one thing those fans have in common, they expect wins, not just points, wins. And if that doesn't come, then uh, eventually fans are going to be frustrated. I don't, I don't think expectations will be high at all this year or next year. There might be a bowl ban for the next couple of years to where they're not even playing for the postseason. But eventually – Tennessee fans are going to expect championships. And by the way, they've been promised championships by the administration. So yeah. if Josh Heupel doesn't deliver, then uh, eventually fans will uh, will not support him. Uh, so that's the challenge. And uh, if he has thick enough skin, then uh, he'll be able to handle it. If, if not, that'll be a challenge he has to take on. So in his press conference, he said all the right things, everything that you would expect a coach to say at an introductory press conference, got to recruit, got to close down the borders of the state and, um, uh, you know, we want to get. He actually said, "Get the ball to the playmakers in space." He said that at his press conference, the the bingo card for an opening press conference. <laughs> it, he hit yeah. all the squares. Now let's see what he's able to do. Yeah, now you know he's a son of a coach. I mean, he grew up around it. I, I love to to me. I think the the positives there, either the former quarterback mentality. Obviously, he's won a national title as a player, and the fact that he has experience in the Southeastern Conference at Missouri has had success in the SEC East as well, which I do feel like. You know, for him taking over this program, I, I mean, this is just an outside perspective, but I feel like in the SEC East at Tennessee, like that, whoever that that third spot between Georgia, behind Georgia and Florida right now is up for grabs. It's wide open every year. Whoever wants to go yeah. and get it. So I look at that schedule and I say Kentucky, South Carolina, Vandy, Missouri. Those are four games that you can come in and get good enough to win those four. Try to split with Georgia and Florida, and all of a sudden you're you're in that conversation. So the the upward climb doesn't seem. Yes, right now I know these are dark days because of the potential bull ban and the sanctions, but for him to come into a program that has history, that has tradition, that has the fan base, the Rocky Top, all of that, I think it's, you know, for for the right guy, and, and, I, and we hope he is the right guy for you guys. We're all going to be pulling for him. But I, I feel like for the right guy to come in that has the patience and is given the opportunity to give get through those first couple of years, that on the other side of that could be, you know, a really great thing. And It'll be interesting to see it play out. One thing that helps him, the schedule is not that tough for the next couple of years. Their yeah. biggest non-conference opponent the next two years is Pitt. That's another team where if you can put up points, you can beat them, yeah. right? So uh, it's not that it's not that challenging with Pitt the next couple of years, BYU out of conference. Oklahoma scheduled for 2024, which Sooner fans are probably well aware of. That's going to be a tougher one. That's also four seasons down the line, so it's difficult to project. But um, yeah, I, I'm in Knoxville, so a lot of people – are hoping that Josh Heupel can work out because it has not with the previous head coaches, but he also to, to get to where they ultimately want to go, where an Oklahoma is Florida, Georgia, Alabama, it's going to take a lot of work to get there to beat out Missouri, South Carolina, Kentucky. He, he should be able to do that. If, if not, then he will prove that he's not the right guy. So that 2024 matchup that's in Knoxville, correct? Yes. Oh man, that could be really intriguing. He gets it rolling. Heupel versus Riley kind of the, well, yeah, and when, when I talk about expectations, I can assure you by year four, Danny White's expectations, Josh Heupel's expectations, and for sure the fans' expectations will be that Tennessee football is competing at a championship level. Like yeah. by, by year four, they're expecting that you can at least compete uh, at the top of the SEC. I don't know that they're going to be there, but 
uh, we'll find out. So hopefully by then, you know, that 2015 Tennessee Oklahoma game was a really good one. Oklahoma oh, yeah. pulled it out in Knoxville. Maybe Tennessee will be at that level. That was year three for Butch Jones as Tennessee's head coach. Now he didn't have to deal with the NCAA issues that that could handcuff Hypo a little bit for sure. But it'll also be year four uh, in Knoxville. Yeah, let's see. Uh, we'll, hopefully we'll talk between now and then. But by then we should uh, we should have a conversation about the game. Hopefully it will be a good one, a competitive one. Well, when it comes to expectations being set quickly on head coaches, Josh Heupel has a lot to do with that. He's part of the blame for that because in Bob Stoops' second season with Josh Heupel as head coach, they won a national title. So Bob yeah. Stoops came in and did the two-year turnaround 20 years ago, yep. and now all of a sudden he's set the learning curve really high for everybody else that takes over a storied program. So Heupel kind of made his own bed. He didn't know it at the time probably, but he made yeah. a bed that he has to lie in now. So. Uh, but we'll be looking forward to that matchup in 2024 and definitely pulling for Josh along the way. And should any other volunteers, we, every time you and I talk, we feel like it's, it might be the last time and we're saying our goodbyes. And then all of a sudden, like two days later, here, here I dial up the, the big orange transfer hotline. But uh, until, until the next time, man, we get a chance to collaborate. I appreciate you coming on and uh, wish you guys the best over at locked on Vols. Anytime. Thanks David. And switching gears. We're going to stay in the Southeastern conference for more, of a Locked On crossover. We've got Jimmy Stein from Locked On Bama coming on with us to talk about a, a number of things, really. But we're going to start off by talking about this big-time basketball game taking place Saturday morning at the Lloyd Noble Center between the top 10, number 9, Alabama Crimson Tide, and number 24, Oklahoma. Oklahoma coming off a back-to-back top 10 wins, looking for a third consecutive win over a top 10 opponent. Jimmy, welcome to the show. How are things down in Mobile? Things are uh, cold this morning, ah. but, uh, but uh, no, uh, things are great. Uh, really enjoying the Alabama basketball season. It's 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 been a somewhat unexpected uh, to be uh, to be ranked, you know, in the top ten and nine and zero in the SEC. I don't think any of us saw that coming. Uh, but it, it's been uh, it's been fun, and really looking forward to this game Saturday on the Locked On Bama podcast that we uh, that we cut last night. We, 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 we sort of compared this matchup Saturday as almost like a preview of a Sweet 16-type game with both teams playing so well today. Yeah. It would not be surprising at all to see an Oklahoma or an Alabama advance that far in the tournament. Sure. Yeah, they both have a lot of upside, I think, with the way that they're playing. I think they're playing a style of basketball that's transferable to winning in March with, with defense, grinding out games, finding a way. And, you know, I, I'm – let me just say this, and it, it might be a little sarcastic. I don't mean it to be, but it, it, I'm glad that Alabama fans are having something to be excited about. It's been a long time. since, uh, since uh, It's been like two weeks since you guys got to celebrate something. So I'm glad that basketball has been this bonus, this bonus <laughs> get for the, the Alabama fan who's just dominated college football as a fan base to get to own all those championships. Now you got a basketball team playing at a really high level as well. So, man, what – yeah, what a bonus, right? You roll out of a national title into a team that's just rolling through the SEC on the basketball court. So how has Alabama been so successful? What is what is making them tick, and who are their players that Oklahoma should be keeping an eye on? Well, um, Herb Jones is is the guy that's kind of the heart and soul of this team. He's a, he's a, a fascinating guy to, to, to know and watch. He, he's a blue-collar guy. Uh, Nate Oates, Alabama's coach, he, he has a – he has an award he gives out at the end of every game. He calls it the hard hat award. And it goes to the player who earned the most hustle points. And uh, they have some sort of statistical thing. They don't really share with the media over how you earn these hustle points that result in the hard hat award. 
but it's it's clearly about rebounding, defense, diving for loose balls, effort plays, uh, things like that. Uh, Nate Oates had this tradition uh, going all the way back to uh, when he was the head coach at Buffalo as well. It's not something he invented at Alabama. Well, Herb Jones wins the hard hat award pretty much every game now for two years. I mean, that that's who he is, uh, despite the fact he's really a star in the game now. He still plays as if he's the 13th guy on the roster, like he's a walk-on. I mean, it's, it's that awesome. sort of effort you get yeah. from him. So Herb is the heart and soul of the team, but he's not the most gifted player offensively. Uh, that would probably be uh, senior John Petty, uh, who's who's an all-conference type player, an excellent three-point shooter. Uh, Petty is, is, is our best uh, upperclassman scorer, Jaden Shackelford, a sophomore uh, shooter. Uh, he's good. And, and a true freshman uh, wing player, Josh Primo, uh, ha- has been really good as of late. He's a guy with just massive upside and uh, is playing more and more minutes. But those are the names to really watch. Alabama does have quite a bit of depth. I, I-, I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama plays as many as 11 or 12 players against Oklahoma Saturday. Uh, but Herb Jones, John Petty, the freshman Josh Primo, Jaden Shackelford, these are uh, Alabama's headlining players. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that hard hat award and, and a guy that just does those things and what kind of impact that can have on the team. You know, I, going back uh, to the 90s, early 2000s, when Kelvin Sampson had a great tenure at Oklahoma, the mantra of their program was heart, hustle, and hardwood. And they were known as that gritty team that was just, they were going to fight you for 40 minutes. And it might be, the score might be 55 to 52, but they were going to fight you to get that W. And Oklahoma has a player like that, Elijah Harkless, that transferred from Cal Northridge, got immediately eligible, missed the first handful of games until that eligibility came through. But that's been a guy that's not going to put up a lot of statistical significance in the box score, but just makes basketball plays, makes winning plays. And, you know, to your point, when you have your best player or one of your best players doing those things as well, well, man, that's just going to have that trickle-down effect to the rest of the roster. And, you know, for Oklahoma right now, They've been winning in spite of what they anticipated being one of their their main guys in Brady Manick, who was a coming in as a four year starter, was out for COVID protocols, missed some time, and since he's re entered the lineup, he's come off the bench, hasn't been able to find his stroke from three. He's got over two hundred career threes at Oklahoma, six nine, you know, a stretch four can go post up, but Oklahoma right now has been winning as a result of the sum of its parts. They haven't right. been a team that's you know they don't have the headliner while they do have. Austin Reeves, who's the only player in America right now averaging over 15 points, five rebounds, and five assists, he's not going to be the Trey Young, Buddy Hill, Blake Griffin, Oklahoma Sooner, right? This isn't the Trey Young, Colin Sexton matchup we had a few years ago where both these guys were bound for NBA stardom. So I think it's going to be an interesting matchup to see these two. And I, I like the the Sweet 16 analogy that you put out there because you do. You got two teams that are hot, and, and it's almost uh, – yes, it's the Lloyd Noble Center, and I don't want to – be sheepish about this and downplay that. But I mean, it's pretty much, it's, it's as neutral side as it can be in these type of games. Right. So you do have to bring your own energy the same way you do in March. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun on Saturday. And when we come back here on locked on centers, we're going to talk with Jimmy about Oklahoma and Alabama football. We're going to talk about our shared experience with Jalen hurts. We're also going to talk about Steve Sarkeesian, the staff he's taking from Alabama, what that looks like for Texas, how that impacts Bama and how that might impact the 2021 season going forward. We're back right here on Locked On Sooners. And now I want to tell you about Built Bar. This is the best tasting protein bar on the market. It's not even close. Take it from me. I'm a former Sooners offensive lineman. I like to eat. I know what kind of food tastes good. And when it comes to protein bars, 
Look, I like to lift. I like to eat. I love sweets. I've tried them all. Some of them, you got to just force them down to make them work. This ain't like that. This is legit. This really does taste like a candy bar. It's 100% covered in chocolate. They've got fantastic flavors like cookies and cream, almond, which to me, just like the candy bar that you're, you've grown up eating, some of them taste just like, uh, I'm not going to drop name brand candy bars out here, but let me just tell you, they have a variety pack, comes with 18 different flavors, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, cherry barcia is one of my favorites. It's like a chocolate covered cherry. You can't go wrong with these things. It's like cheating. I feel like I'm cheating. I cut off sweets for the new year. Built Bar is getting me through 18 grams of protein, four grams of sugar, or 17 and five, depending on the flavor that you go with. Calories range from 130 to 180. The non-nut flavors are all 130. It's a good deal, man. And if you go to the builtbar.com, use the promo code locked on, you get 20% off of your first order. So again, builtbar.com, locked on as a promo code. Make sure you get that 20% off and go check out Built Bar. I assure you, you will not be disappointed. Betting on your favorite team doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked On Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks and quick hitting advice to make the smartest possible wagers. Subscribe to the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get podcasts. And we're back with more with Jimmy Stein of Locked On Bama. Got a little more meat on the bone here, Jimmy, to talk about. And let's flip gears and talk about football for a minute. I know for an Alabama guy and an Oklahoma guy, it's not hard to make our conversation turn back to football. So here we find ourselves. Uh, let, let's start off with um, – we can talk about Jalen here in a moment, but let's start off right now. I want to ask you about Steve Sarkeesian taking the Texas job. Obviously, it didn't impact Alabama on their pursuit of a national title. I don't think anything was slowing down that team with the talent that he was – that he had trotting out there to run that offense. So one of my questions would be, you know, one, how how much does Nick Saban impact Steve Sarkeesian going forward? How much does he really take away from that? Do you feel like he truly is a different coach than when he came? And then also, do you feel like his offense will translate at Texas? Yes, Texas has talent, but they don't have the elite talent that Alabama currently has on that roster to execute what he was trying to accomplish. So, is he a different coach, and how will that translate to Texas? I think he's an uh, almost certainly an improved coach over over where he was at Washington and USC, not only overcoming the personal problems that I think are well-documented that everyone knows, but, I mean, how can you not work for, for Nick Saban on two occasions? He first worked at Alabama as an off-the-field analyst uh, before being elevated uh, to offensive coordinator with a two-year stint with the Falcons in between. Let's not forget that. He was an offensive coordinator in the NFL, I think yeah. when Alabama got Sark back the second time uh, and, and got him back directly from the Falcons, he was probably a better coach then, uh, just from his two-year experience running an NFL franchise with Matt Ryan as his quarterback and Julio Jones at wide receiver. I mean, he had some tools uh, with the Falcons as well. Uh, so I, I would think he has to be a better coach for the, both the experience of what the Falcons and working for Nick Saban. Uh, Nick Saban's, uh, you know, people talk about the process. I, I think that's just kind of a, a, a buzzword, but of many uh, of Saban's great qualities, it's just the organizational qualities, the organization that was set up, uh, the way that Alabama's football program is set up uh, from the inside, just the administrative organizational part of it. I'm certain Sark learned some things from that. So I think Texas is getting a pretty good ball coach. I'll, I'll say this for, 
for for you know obviously uh you know oklahoma fans be you know may not may not be a big fan of hearing this but i think had nick saban retired this season that sark would have been the head coach at alabama that that's what most alabama fans believe so so we're we're pretty high on sark ourselves but that's interesting yeah yeah, some of us that, that feared that this might be it for, for Nick, that he wins one more and then rides off into the sunset on that seventh championship, uh, it was assumed that uh, that Sark would take over. So uh, Alabama fans uh, believe Texas is getting a really good head coach. Uh, I think he would have been a very popular, as much as you can be popular following Nick Saban, he would have been a popular hired Alabama. He, he did a great job, no, no doubt. But as you, you pointed out, uh, you know, the, how could you not do a great job with a Heisman caliber quarterback running back and wide receiver playing behind the best offensive line in college football? How could you not? On the other hand, what I would also say is this. Yes, he was handed the keys to a Ferrari. He really was. But you know what he did? He won the Grand Prix. Yeah. He won the Grand Prix. He didn't crash it to a tree. Yep. He didn't underachieve. He didn't create a lot of disharmony. He drove it and set the course record. And uh, he did as well as can be done. And, and will, will he be a good head coach at Texas? Uh, probably. It's, it's a different setup. And, and we'll see how long it takes him to build a roster that has a Mac Jones, a Najee Harris, a Devontae Smith, a Jalen Waddell. Uh, because we all know Nick Saban will be the first to tell you who gets the credit. And that's the players. And it's the players Alabama recruits. Uh, it's the secret sauce to Nick Saban is we're going to have more good players than you do. And, and it's, it's really been that simple. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. I mean, you can't underscore the fact that he did everything he was supposed to do as offensive coordinator. And sometimes, especially and we were talking basketball earlier, sometimes when you have that many elite players at their position, there can be like the disharmony part you mentioned that can creep in, right? Mac Jones, Absolutely. does he get enough? Does he get enough passes? Does Najee Harris get enough touches? Does Devonte Smith get enough touches? Uh, you know, just go on down the line. When you're managing that type of talent, that also requires a lot of intentionality to make sure that you're keeping a harmonious bunch there so that they're humming at that at that rate. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned him being a potential successor to Saban there at Alabama. I do find that fascinating. I, I will say this. The Texas fan base, had Nick Saban retired this year and Sarkeesian took over, the Texas fan base would have convinced themselves that Nick Saban was retiring from Alabama to go take the Texas job. So for what that's yeah. worth, like that, that's the way that's their mentality. So it was interesting because they had this open flirtation with urban Meyer all season. Right. And in, in a lot of ways, I, you know, I, I'm not, a, I was never a Tom Herman fan. I, I feel like just from a maturity standpoint, I feel like the position of head football coach of Texas was almost beneath the way he carried himself in that role. I feel like it's a big time job and, he did a lot of things off the field, just a lot of antics that were a little bit weird. Uh, but I did feel like it was a little odd the way they kind of hung him out to dry by flirting with Nick, uh, with Urban Meyer all year. But their level of expectation was they thought they were going to be able to get Urban Meyer. And years back, they thought they were going to get Nick Saban. So I, I feel like for for a lot of Texas fans, they're trying to convince themselves that Sarkeesian is the right guy. And I think one of the things they have leaned on in that is, because if, if you look at Charlie Strong, you look at Tom Herman, both those guys had success at a little bit smaller programs than uh, than Sarkeesian has been the head coach of, but they were coming off of a lot of momentum, right? I mean, Tom Herman had a great run at Houston. Charlie Strong won the Orange Bowl, you know, had a good, good run at Louisville. But when you look at their their records, Sarkeesian falls right in line with those guys more so than a, an Urban Meyer or Nick Saban, right? So I think what they've leaned on was the staff that he was going to assemble 
that he was going to come in as not a head coach was going to bring his whole staff with him. He was going to go find the right guys at the right spots. So who among the staff that he's taken from Alabama do you feel like will make a bigger impact for him either in recruiting or in uh, just implementing what he wants to get done? Yeah, he's taken a couple of on-the-field guys, uh, and by that meaning Alabama has a very large support staff off the field, and Sark is bringing a couple of those guys as well. Uh, But really, I think the big impact coach to me that he's bringing is Jeff Banks, who is the uh, tight end and special teams coordinator. Uh, He was a good coach at Alabama, particularly as it relates to special teams. Alabama had very solid special teams throughout the three years that Jeff Banks was, was on the staff. Uh, But what Jeff Banks really brought to the table was recruiting. Jeff Banks was one of Alabama's best recruiters the last three years. No question he was, really. And, you know, at Alabama, you know, maybe signing the best kid in Alabama or the best kid out of Birmingham, you know, that's not exactly uh, a great achievement. But Jeff Banks was signing kids from Texas. I mean, all these Texas kids, the Brockermeyer brothers, uh, Waddle. With the Brockermeyer brothers, getting getting those two legacies – away from oh. Texas. That that was probably one of the final nails in Herman's coffin, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I don't doubt that. I, we, we talked about a lot on Locked on Bama is <clears throat> the equivalent of Oklahoma coming to Alabama and signing All-American twins from Birmingham, whose dad was an All-American player for Coach Bryant. I mean, that's what it, that's Wild. literally yeah. equivalent. We would have freaked, as Alabama fans, we would have freaked out and tried to cancel the season if something like that happened. Uh, so we, yeah, we knew it was a big deal and I'm not, we, we knew there would be a lot of blowback in Austin over that. But on the other hand, you know, it's also pretty understandable as to why if your dream is to play in the NFL, why you might choose Alabama right now. I mean, that's not, it's not like they chose Louisville or Kentucky. I mean, they were, they were choosing a program right now. That's pretty good at, at putting out NFL players, particularly at that position. I think Alabama, the last five left tackles have been first or second round picks the last five. I mean, that's yeah. and, and Oklahoma, by the way, has very similar success uh, with their offensive line yeah. uh, of late, but that that's why, uh, that's why I think I'll, but Jeff Banks is who recruited most of these Texas guys. And the fact that Banks is going home and now those are in-state guys to Jeff Banks, he could possibly do even better. So Jeff Banks and his recruiting I think is the real home run. Uh, they're, they're paying him over a million dollars. I think Jeff Banks is going to be the very first non-offensive or defensive coordinator to be paid over a million dollars. Uh, and Alabama did not want to lose Jeff Banks. I mean, I don't know what what's out there about that, but that's, that's not true. I think Alabama would have liked to have kept Jeff Banks, but he was going home. Texas was paying over a million dollars. Alabama decided to go in another direction. And this, this morning, as a matter of fact, it's, I think, being made official today, hiring Jay Graham, who's ironically a former uh, tight end special teams coach at Texas A&M, uh, most recently a running backs coach at Tennessee. Uh, Jay Graham will be the uh, the new Jeff Banks at Alabama. So let me ask you about one more coach that was at Alabama as an analyst, Mike Stoops. Uh, there was a lot of rumors that Mike was going to Texas with, with Sarkeesian. The rumor was that you know a former player of his, Seth Luttrell, head coach in North Texas, he had a defensive coordinator position available to him there, turned it down, Basically, from all intents and purposes, it sounds like he had a gentleman's agreement with Sarkeesian that he was coming to coach linebackers there. The Texas Boosters allegedly got involved. That fell apart, and which the Texas Boosters have messed up many a thing for many a coach in that, uh, that athletic department, and that's been well-documented uh, in many outlets. But what were you hearing about the Mike Stoops of Texas situation and how that might have fallen out? 
Exactly, exactly as you say. I, I think Sark planned to bring Mike Stoops, and that was the plan. And before the I's could be dotted and the T's can be crossed, someone other than Steve Sarkeesian nixed it from happening. Uh, as to the inner workings of Texas, I, I don't know. I just know that uh, from here, uh, from Alabama, it looked like Mike Stoops was leaving. He was going to be the linebacker coach. That's who Sark wanted to be as linebacker coach. Sark has worked with him now at Alabama. Mike Stoops has been here for a couple of years. So it's not – I think Sark and him have worked together uh, for a couple of years. I think they're pretty good – they've become good friends. Uh, they have a really good working relationship, and it fell apart. It was not – my understanding is it wasn't because Sark changed his mind about Mike Stoops. And uh, I'm sure Mike will land on his feet somewhere. He can also stay right where he's at. This off-the-field job at Alabama is pretty good. It, yeah. it, doesn't pay a, it doesn't pay a lot, but I believe Mike Stoops is probably still making money from previous jobs he held. Sure. And, and money isn't uh, driving the train for him uh, yeah. right now. And uh, you can learn a lot at Alabama. I think it helps your resume. A lot of Alabama support staff guys have gone on. Sark was an Alabama offensive analyst before he became the Atlanta Falcons offensive coordinator. Right. So I think Stoops can be sort of picky about where where he ends up now, and I'm sure he'll land on his feet to, uh, to some degree. I know this. Uh, it's said that he's pretty popular and that Nick Saban thinks quite a bit of him. Yeah, well, I, I played under Mike Stoops, and I know he's an intense guy, and I know he's a, a little unique guy as well, but I know his background speaks for itself as far as some of the things he's been able to do. So it was a curious situation to see that unfold in such a public way, too. You kind of hated it for Mike. feel like he got hung out to dry there. But to your point, coming back and hanging out as an analyst at Alabama, whether it pays a lot or not, that ring still fits pretty nice, I imagine, that he's putting on his finger this offseason. So I'll get you out of here on this, uh, Jimmy. We had Jalen Hurts for one season. And it was a lot of fun. I think he did a lot of good things for the program, provided a really good bridge between Kyler Murray and Spencer Rattler. And then also, I feel like, you know, improved his stock in the draft to come and play for a year under Lincoln. You know, it was interesting to watch him. We kind of watched him from afar. You sort of, you know, admired the the way he carried himself at Alabama. You admired the way he, he handled the Tua thing in stride, stayed ready, had his moment in Atlanta to, to help get them back. And then finds his way to Oklahoma. And then, you know, as the season played out, it, it became more and more apparent. Like, okay, yes, he's an improved passer, but he's still not Baker or Kyler. And he's and he's not Rattler with the, with the football in his hands throwing it. However, he became run heavy as that season leaned on. And, and really going into that LSU matchup in the playoff, it, Oklahoma had had several guys sus, uh, suspended. Ronnie Perkins, Ramon J. Stevenson. They were, they were missing weapons they could not afford to miss in that game. And they also... We're going up against a juggernaut offensively that Jalen throwing the football wasn't prepared for them to go outscore LSU. But right. now, now that he's in the NFL, you know, what is your thought about him as an NFL player? Are you surprised that he was able to be a starter in year one? Did he, has he exceeded your expectations of what you thought was his ceiling while you followed him at Alabama? Or is he kind of stepping into who you thought he might always be? You know, the, the comp I always use, I'm still sticking with this. Uh, and and I, I compared him uh, even in a sophomore year to this guy. And, and I think his NFL career is going to play out similarly. And that's Tyrod Taylor, you know. Uh, and I think that's kind of who Jalen's always been, a guy who took big leaps every year he was in college. Better as a sophomore than as a freshman. Better as a junior than as a sophomore much better as a senior at Oklahoma than he as a passer. Then he moves to the NFL and improves again. He continues to improve. 
But in all reality, there probably is a ceiling. I, I don't. He's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. That, that's that's not what he is. But Tyrod Taylor's still in the NFL. Yeah. Tyrod proved in the NFL and became a part-time starter, good number two guy, and, and building that into a long NFL career. And there's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to be Patrick Mahomes to have a wildly successful career playing quarterback. And uh, but you know where I think we share a kinship with Oklahoma is just that Jalen experience. What a great guy! Yeah. What a great he's. He's about the easiest guy to pull for you would ever have. Sure, some fans will be like, well, I wish he was a better thrower. Well, you know, like I said, not everybody's going to be Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes or Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield. Not everybody's going to be that guy. But Jalen maximizes how good he can be through 100% effort and is a great teammate. And uh, I'm glad you guys got to see that. I think what was really unique uh, from our vantage point is you know when sometimes when a, a player leaves a program that program gets kind of miffed you know the fans are like hey left us we feel betrayed dumped like we got dumped by a girlfriend right and, and you get sort of a maybe vindictive but uh, as i think oklahoma fans saw uh uh and i think it was cushioned by the fact that alabama had a, a talent like tua uh that was going to be the quarterback but alabama fans were rooting for jalen at oklahoma uh and and still are and uh, it's it's cool that both of our fan bases can claim Jalen's success. Yeah. Uh, and then, because I think there is going to be some successes. It's going to be up and down, of course. Sure. That's what that league is. But uh, but no, I I, th- I think uh, anything Jalen achieves will never surprise me. Uh, the only thing that would ever surprise me about Jalen is seeing less than a hundred percent effort to be the best player he can be. Yeah, no argument there. The Jalen Hurts experience was a lot of fun and. Certainly, you know, Alabama and Oklahoma have a lot in common in football tradition and the way that the, the state rallies around football. And, you know, with obviously you, the Oklahoma City Thunder came to town, you know, few, 10, 12 years back. But for the most part, Oklahoma and Alabama have so many similarities where that was the franchise. And so right. there's a lot of relatable things there. I think both of them are the, the flag bearers of their league. And one of these days, uh, Jimmy, as we get closer to college football season, we're going to bring you back on to kind of talk about you know, projecting ahead to 2021 season. And um, this was a lot of fun, but thank you for coming on with us today. And uh, you guys be sure and go check out uh, Locked on Bama. If you got anything, any inquiries into what's going on at Bama, these guys got you covered every day. So, uh, Jimmy, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me on, David, and uh, and good luck. And I'm really looking forward to the basketball game Saturday morning. Yes, sir. It should be fun. And that's going to do it for us today here on Locked on Sooners. Hope you enjoy those crossover conversations with Josh Ward of Locked on Vols. Jimmy Stein of Locked On Bama. A lot of great stuff there. A lot of uh, good insight into what's going on at Texas now with these former Bama guys coming in, what we can expect there. And, hey, man, that's what we want. We want it to be meaningful in the Cotton Bowl. So if Sarkeesian's going to get it going, all right, let's strap them up and let's get going. Let's get it going on there down in Dallas. Uh, Recruit better? Cool. We're going to recruit better too, and it's going to be fun to watch and I'm excited about that proposition, and, uh, you know, I, I agree with him as well. Mike Stoops is going to land on his feet, and that was an interesting perspective as well to hear um, hear Jimmy's take on all of that. But be sure to go check out the Sooners Crimson Tide basketball game tomorrow. I'm sure our Twitter page at Locked On Sooners will be tweeting about that as it takes place. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Sooners. Find our Facebook page and join that as well. Facebook, you can search us, Locked On Sooners Podcast. You'll find us there. Be sure to go and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're on all platforms, 
And on Apple, Spotify, Google, if you get a chance, give us a five-star rating, write us a review. It'll take you, you know, what, 60 seconds if you don't mind. We'd appreciate it. We'd love the feedback on what you're liking, what you want to hear more of. Hope you had a chance to check out our Players Lounge conversation last night. Had a lot of good stuff there, a lot of fun uh, catching up with former Sooner teammates of mine, John Flynn, Wes Sims, Chris Messner, and longtime NFL offensive lineman Chris Chester, who uh, retired after getting to the Super Bowl with the Falcons a few years back. So we had a lot of fun on the Players Lounge episode, and we're going to bring you more content like that. We're going to try to get some former players together, have a weekly Players Lounge episode going forward. But that's going to do it for us this week. For my co-host, John Williams, I'm David Walker. We'll see you Monday. Boomer Sooner.